0: What's up, True Life? How you guys doing? <laughs> Woo! For those who don't know me, my name is Joel. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church, and I have the opportunity, the honor to preach today, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, real quick announcement before I jump into the message. Anybody know what starts February 16th in our church? Anyone? Small groups! Exactly! Yeah! And they'll be very small with the response I got just then. Um, but uh, small groups are kicking off February 16th, and I'm actually our director of small groups. I'm kind of helping organize all of them and get them together and get the information up on our website. I, we need more people to lead small groups uh, because here's the thing. We want everyone in our church in a small group. That's our goal. So if you're not in a small group, our goal is to get you in a small group. So some of the ones that we already have, uh, I'll just throw a few out there that we're doing. Um Bonnie and Angie, if you guys know them, uh, they are leading a, a women's group that's going to be awesome. It's going to go through Romans 12 uh, for 12 weeks. I'm really excited about that one. Uh, there is obviously our youth group that Alex and Kate and Tim and Liz are leading, right? I, how many? Are, it's good. All right. I knew I could at least get Tim to respond on that one. Um, let me think. Let me think what other ones we have out there. Anyone, anyone, shout them out. Knitting, right? There's knitting. I, I heard. I heard somewhere somebody said knitting. We have knitting going on. There's actually a a, a chick flick small group that uh, Don Vigiano is going to be hosting, where they watch a chick flick and then have a, a short Bible study of some sort tied in with that. I'm pretty excited about that one, guys. You can't attend that one. Um, no, 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 guys can be at that one. Uh, however, guys can be at the one that I'm going to be leading. Um, I've tentatively titled it Dudes of the Bible, and uh, it's a men's group, and each week we're going to study a different man from the Bible. Um, it's, that's, that's the whole concept. There's nothing complicated. Like There might be weeks where we just come and open the Bible and just pick whoever's on that page. Probably not, but uh, we could do that. So Dudes of the Bible, that'll be at my house. Um, so there's, there's going to be a bunch of them. They're going to be up on our website uh, really by next week is our goal. But if you're interested in leading a small group, if you have a heart to lead a small group, do it. Uh, I, I would challenge you to jump in and just do it. Because here's the thing. I, I think sometimes we look at small groups and we get intimidated and we think, oh, I got to be a teacher. I got to be a preacher. I need to have bullet points and PowerPoints and all kinds of points. And, and the thing is, you don't. Uh, you don't. This is, this is what a small group would look like for us. You could plan to, on a regular basis, a weekly basis, after church on Sunday, go out to lunch and discuss the sermon. We would actually even provide you questions to provoke discussion. And if you did that on a weekly basis, we would call that a small group. And we would put that on our website so that people that come to church on Sunday morning can find a way to get plugged in and build new friendships and build relationships and dig in a little bit deeper than we are able to on Sunday morning. So I really encourage you, if you've thought about it, if you're interested in it, if me just talking about it now got you interested in it, Talk to me after service. Come to 401 tonight. We want more small groups happening in our church. There's no age limit. If you're a teenager and you want to lead a small group for other teenagers, if you're a college student and you want to lead one in your dorm, it's open format. You come talk to me. We'll discuss the details and we'll get it worked out. But we want as many small groups as possible. So please pray about that. Think about that. And talk to me. With that said, we're gonna jump into the message. Um, we've been in this series. I forgot the name of it. Can someone tell me what's the name of this series that we've been? In? No, that's what I'm asking. Could could you guys remind me? What's it called? Uh, all right. So I've been waiting like for weeks to make that joke because I was just uh, I'm I'm kind of corny. So um, yeah, we've been in this series called Remind Me and. Uh, and that's my humor right there. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. And um, on that note, we are actually talking about leadership today, uh- We've been talking in the past few weeks about our core values, about our mission, about our vision, uh, and it's been a great series. I don't know if it has been for everyone here, but I can say personally for me, this has been a great series, and we're going to come back to this kind of topic, this kind of theme probably every year at the beginning of the year. Me and Michael have been talking about that, and, and he said that you know every year he wants to revisit this because it's that important. And I, and I was thinking there's a scripture in the Old Testament where it talks about digging up. Uh, hard ground. It's a it's a farming analogy. I know we don't always get those, but he talks about how. You have this hard ground in your heart. And sometimes you just have to dig it up and, and kind of make it fresh so you can plant new things. And I think that a series like this, that's what it does for our heart. is that Sometimes we lose sight of maybe what we're doing, the big picture. We, we forget about the vision or, or the mission of our church, and we just kind of get in the motions of coming on Sunday morning. And a series like this reminds us, and it kind of breaks up that ground so that God can plant new things and do new things in our church and in our city and in our community. And so I've, I've really enjoyed it. I hope you guys have. If you haven't heard the whole thing, it's all up on our website. It's on iTunes. I've been excited about it. We're wrapping it up today. And as we've been talking about, remind me of our values, remind me of our mission and and, and all of this. Today, we're going to talk about something that's just as important. And it's remember or remind me of our leaders, who's leading this church, who's in charge. And and we're going to go to a scripture. We're really going to spend most of our time today in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. So I want you guys to go there. This is... the writer of Hebrews is wrapping up his letter to a church and he begins to talk to them about how they should treat their leaders. And so I I wanna read this verse to you guys, Hebrews 13, seven and eight. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. I wanna take a second and pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to get into your word. We thank you for a chance to study your word, to look at what you say about leadership in the church, what you say about our elders and our pastors and, and, and all of our lead team and life team. And God, I pray that today as, I, as we go through this, Lord, as we look at what your word says, I pray that we would have soft hearts, Lord, that we'd have receptive spirits, God, that we would let your word speak to us and change our lives And make us into better people, better Christians, better followers of you, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. So this says to remember your leaders, to imitate their faith, imitate their way of life. How many of you guys have ever imitated anyone? 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 Okay, I'm pretty sure everybody's done some sort of imitation. Michael does one like every week of someone that has a really dumb voice. We haven't figured out who that is, but on a weekly basis, it's some weird voice, and, and we, we joke about it the next morning uh, at, our, at our staff meeting. But um, we all do imitations, right? Uh, how many of you, for, for parents, your kids imitate you? Has anyone had that joy? No, just me. Wow, okay. I see a few hands up. All right, my kids imitate me, okay? They just do. They mimic me. They, they're like mini-me's, right? They're just little versions of me, little versions of my wife. And and so they do things, like um, good things sometimes, right? Sometimes it's good. Like we have a pull-up bar in our house, right? It's between the doorway. And my kids have seen me use it. They've seen their mom use it. So they're like, I want to do pull-ups, right? So my daughter, she's four, I'll let her hang from this thing, and I'll hold on to her feet, and she'll do pull-ups. And now my son, he's like uh, what is he a year and a half? He wants to do them, right? He can't even talk and he wants to do pull-ups. So my my son, 18 months or 19 months old, he's on the pull-up bar and I'm holding his feet and he's, he's doing pull-ups, right? So if you come to my house, my kids are weird. They're doing pull-ups. Um, they can do other, like just weird, random things that we do. My kids will do them. They see, they, they see us doing them and they want to do them. Uh, this also is on the negative side, right? Like my daughter can argue as good as me for sure. Like, and, and it's scary, um, that the way she comes back at me with things is the way I would come back at, at arguments, too. And so they make sense. And it's hard to discipline her. It's hard to be mad because I'm thinking, like, she's making so much sense, right? So uh, I'll give you an example. Like, my, my son will be sleeping in, in the other room. He still takes naps and all that. And, and she'll want to go get some toy out of her closet, which is right next to his room. I'm like, no, you can't get that toy, right, because Malachi is sleeping. So, okay, eventually she'll go get the toy, right? Like she'll, she'll wait till we're not looking or something. And she goes against the toy. Hey, wait, wait, where'd you get that? Uh, from my closet. Hey, we told you not to go up there because you could wake up Malachi. Yes, dad, that's true, I could. But here's the thing, I didn't wake up Malachi. Right. And, and, and like that. And and the thing is, like, that's how my brain works. So I'm thinking that's a good argument. That's valid. Like she was very quiet. She did it, you know, but that's not the point. Like, and so when, when my daughter starts imitating me, it's sometimes hard to actually bring discipline. But this scripture is calling us to to imitate, to mimic our leaders in the church, those who God has called to leadership. In our church. And, and it's not so much in just a comical way. Like, we, we sometimes will imitate our leaders in the church in a comical way. If you were at our Christmas party, uh, you guys might remember. We did, uh, there were some videos bouncing around last year stuff, stuff white girls say, stuff this group of people says, whatever. So we did stuff Michael says, and it was great. I mean, it was things like, that's good preaching, and my wife's really hot, and I'm on cold medicine. I can't be held responsible for what I say, and and things like that. And we were mimicking him. We were imitating him because we spent time with Michael, and we look up to him. And so that's in a comical way, but the Bible here is calling us to mimic, to imitate our leaders in in the way that they live their life, in the way that they pursue God, in the way that they love their families, in, in the way that they live. But to be honest, as I thought about this topic, as I thought about telling you guys, you know what, you should imitate your leaders. You, you, you should follow those that God has called to lead our church. I was thinking, is that popular? Is that something that is normal in America? And it's not. Like, it's not normal in America to voluntarily put yourself under the leadership of someone else. We're, I'm not talking about a job where you're getting paid or school where you, you have to do it. This church is completely voluntary. Voluntary. None of you guys have to be here today. None of you were, were, well, some of you might have been dragged here if you have parents that come here, but for the most part, none of you were dragged here. Most of you woke up on your own or your alarm woke up and you hit it and then you got up and, and you got here, right? And you got some coffee and now you're hopefully awake, but that was your choice. No one made you do that. And I think when you look at our country, when you look at our society, it's not normal to then voluntary, voluntarily put yourself under leadership. And I was thinking this goes back to really the beginning of our country, right? Like what America wasn't founded on, we really respect our leaders. So we're going to expound on what they've already been doing over in England, right? Like we're just going to keep growing their mission and their vision. No, like America was founded on, we don't like what's going on here. We're going to go over there and start our own thing and don't tell us what to do. And then what happened? Our leaders from that country came and were like, no, we do want to tell you what to do. And we're like, Revolutionary war, then that's how it's going down. And and we started our own country and we got rid of them. Right. And we we won. Um, But I think that because of that, I think that that's sort of ingrained in us. And and that when a leader tells us to do something that we don't like, when a leader tries to correct our course of life and try to say, you know what, maybe you should do this instead of that. The thing you're doing is going to bring uh, harm in your life that we almost feel like this righteous indignation, like we're doing the right thing to say, you know what, how dare you? How dare you tell me what to do? Who are you? You don't know me, right? I, and that's the attitude we get because it's just in us. Like that's, that's us from from birth. I see that in my kids at a young age where they, they wanna rebel. They wanna do their own thing. They wanna tell me no. I didn't teach them that. That's just in them. And, and, and so in our country, in our, our culture, it's not popular to then be under a leader, um, But this principle uh, uh, of being under leadership, of of submitting to authority, uh, if you will, it's found throughout the Bible. I mean, we could go back as far as, you know, someone like Moses, who was leading the nation of Israel, and those in Israel had to submit to Moses, but we could go back even further and find that this is in the nature of God. This is who God is. And I'll show you guys this. We believe, and if you haven't heard this before, your brain's going to explode now, but we believe... uh, in the Trinity. And what this is, is that we believe God is three in one, that the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, three distinct personalities, but one person, one God. Uh, and again, if you don't understand what I'm saying, let's talk about it later, but it'll make your brain explode. Um, and Jesus fully God comes to earth as man. And yet we see him submitting to the father. Again, they're equal. There's nothing in the Bible says they're not equal. Um, But he submits to the Father. It says this in John 5.19, Jesus speaking here. He says, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And so Jesus is saying right there, look, I only do what God the Father does. And again, Jesus, fully God, fully equal with God the Father. And yet we find Jesus submitting to God the Father, imitating God the Father. And when he's praying in the garden, you guys probably remember this. He's praying in the garden before he goes to the cross. And he's asking God, you know, if I don't have to die, I'd rather not. Right? Like, it, it, it doesn't, it's not going to be enjoyable. Like, I, I don't, I'm not looking forward to this. But then how does he end that prayer? He says, not my will be done, but yours. Right? He submits to God the Father's will. It, it doesn't say in Scripture it's because he has to. It, it, it's, it's a submission that is voluntary. that that he is submitting to God the Father. Um, And and so that's in the nature of God. And so in the same way, when we look at the church, God, of course, is going to set the church up to reflect him, to reflect his nature. Uh, Everything that we do in the church is in some way, shape, or form a reflection of God. We're trying to bear the image of God in the church, in his bride. And so specifically in Hebrews 13, as they're wrapping this letter up, he throws this out to the church. And I, and I think this is a great scripture. We're gonna just hit the first part of it. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. he says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. I love this verse. It's a great verse, but it, it, it includes two words that are not necessarily everyone's most favorite words. Uh, and and I'll, I'll tell you what they are, obey and submit. Right, it, tell, it says that when you come to church, when you choose a church home and you're in a church family, that those who are leading that church, so in our case, our lead team, people like Michael, people like Brian, like Jeff, like Kristen, just to name a few, um, that you would obey them. That you would submit to them. And I know instantly, if you're like me, that that rubs wrong against you. Like, that just feels uncomfortable. Like, I just told you that you should be obeying and submitting to, to the leaders in this church. And it probably is not the most comfortable thing to hear. If it is, great. Then the Lord's done a good work in your heart and you're ready for this message. But for me, even studying for this message, I was like, that's uncomfortable. Like, God, I don't like obeying and submitting to people. Um, And you know what I found was that commentators and people who write and try to explain scripture, they take ones like this and they try to soften it up. They try to make it really easy. Every time this word submit pops up in the New Testament, just read a handful of commentaries, and you'll find some. Where they just try to soften it up and basically say, well, that word submit, it doesn't really mean submit. I mean, what? It means mutual respect. It means. Uh- honor. It means be really kind. Uh, and I get so mad. I'm like, really? That's what it means. Uh, and yet these guys who translate the Bible into these different translations, all it submit, right? So even like, like, whether it's the ESV or the NIV or the KJV or whatever V it is, uh, it, it, they, they all like, you know what this word means? Submit. And then these commentators come along and they're like, no, 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 no. It can't mean that. It can't mean submit. So when it says that we should submit to our leaders, it doesn't mean that. And when it says, wives well, submit to your husband and it doesn't mean that, and they, they soften it up, and, and I just get mad, I'm like, no, maybe it just means what it means, maybe, maybe it means what it says, um, I'm reading this book by A.W. Tozer, and I love this, because he talks about how we soften the Bible up, and how, how we want to defend God, and defend what God says, and he says this, uh, it's one of my favorite quotes, he says, If you serve a God that needs to be defended, he doesn't deserve to be worshipped. And I think that's so true. When we take the Bible and we try to soften it up and say, well, it says obey and submit to your leaders. It doesn't mean we're we're trying to defend God. And on that same note, um, this old preacher a couple hundred years back, Charles Spurgeon, he says the Bible doesn't need to be defended any more than a lion. Uh, And he says when we try to defend the Bible, when we try to explain away the Bible, it's like putting a lion in the cage. And he says, if you would just open that cage, the lion would do okay defending itself. The Bible does okay defending itself if we just let it say what it says. And, and so in this verse, in this passage, he's calling us to obey and submit to our leaders in the church. And so while it says that, are there some guidelines? Is there, is there something that we should look to before we just kind of blindly follow people? Um, because obviously that could get us in trouble as well. And there are. There, there are several passages in the New Testament that give us exactly what our leaders should be like that we're to submit to. So I'm going to go to one of these. Again, there's multiple passages. They all are actually really similar in, as far as guidelines. But we'll go to one that I think just kind of is very clear. And it's going to be First Timothy chapter 3. Before we get into this, I'll explain a little bit. This is Paul. He's writing to Timothy uh, and, and the church that Timothy's leading. Um, Timothy is the youngest pastor that Paul has under him. As far as we know, he's a young guy. Paul helped plant a church in this particular city. And then he basically handed it off to Timothy. Um, so you got Timothy and some other leaders in the church there. They would call these leaders, elders, overseers, bishops, pastors. The the Bible pretty much uses those terms kind of interchangeably. We typically kind of actually specify those. So for us, overseers are some people that Michael kind of is accountable to that are outside of our church. Um, But in this case, he's really talking about elders, overseers, pastors, whatever you want to call them. When we look at this passage, we would really apply this to our whole lead team, the people that are sort of in senior leadership at this church, people who are leading departments, people who are making decisions, the people that that honestly are kind of making this whole thing move in in a way from from a, a senior level. And I can guarantee, before I even get into this, that all of our leaders match these qualifications, but I want to go through them, and then we'll spend some time on it. So Paul says this. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And again, overseer, change that out with lead team uh, or even life team. I mean, we're anyway. Uh, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So I want to take a minute and just walk through these. Walk through the kind of people that should be leading the church that you should be comfortable submitting and obeying in the church. So first he says that he should be the husband of one wife, we would say that this means you have to be faithful to your spouse, that that your leader has to be faithful to their spouse. Um, In Titus, when it's giving the same list, uh, it specifies that that spouse must also be a Christian. Uh, So we wouldn't put someone in, in some kind of senior leadership leading you here at the church whose spouse isn't a Christian, because that's just a a recipe for disaster. We love them and that people get in those situations where maybe they come to Jesus after they've gotten married and, and we support them and we're behind them. But we're not going to put them in a situation where they have to lead a bunch of people because honestly, it's challenging because they're going to have a spouse that's pulling on them in, in the other direction. So they have to be faithful to their spouse. Uh, the next one, they have to be sober minded. I I look at this and I just think they can't be crazy, right? Like we can't have a crazy leader. Um, You guys have probably seen crazy people in the church before and it it doesn't go well. Um, What this would mean on a practical level is pastors, leaders, all this, they can't be conspiracy theorists and weird whack jobs that want to argue over all these little points and bring up all this weird stuff with the government and go crazy. Like those people are crazy and and, and everyone looks at you and you're like, that person's crazy. They can't be that. They have to be sober minded. Uh, the next one, they have to be self-controlled. This covers a lot of things, but I'll just throw some examples out. This means they can't have a current addiction really to anything. I mean, I mean, if you're going to be a leader in the church in any kind of senior, senior role, You can't be addicted to things. You can't have things that control your life. This could be uh, food. You can't be a glutton. Um, This could be coffee. You can't be a caffeine addict that is just mean to the world if you don't get your coffee. Um, This could be alcohol. This could be porn. This means that you're not lazy. You're you're disciplined. It's self-controlled. It it means you're in control of yourself. Um, Respectable. Uh, I think that goes both ways, both that you respect other people. And, and that people respect you, that you're that kind of person. Uh, hospitable. I think this is one that sometimes gets overlooked. But, man, if someone wants to be a leader in the church, they have to love people. Like, like we have people that, it, that are in churches that don't love people. Maybe they love preaching or maybe they love leading something or maybe they love making decisions. But they don't love people. And, and they're terrible at their jobs because the whole point of leading the church is to bring more people to know Jesus. And if you don't love people, you're going to be bad at that job. So if you're the kind of person that when your wife is like, Hey, we're having some people over for dinner. You're just like, Oh God, I just wanted to you know a night alone. I just wanted to relax. Like you're probably not cut out to lead in the church, right? Like that. Cause if you don't like having them over for dinner, what are you going to do when they need counseling? What are you going to do when they need help? When they need somewhere to live for a month because they got kicked out of their house I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, and there were times like that. Like, I remember my, pa- my parents taking people in because, like, they got kicked out of their house. And they are like, well, you can live with us till you find a place. That's because they love people. That's because my parents are hospitable, and, and they, they match up to this. If you're not that kind of person, you just don't love people, you're probably not going to be a great leader in the church. Uh, the next one on there, able to teach. This doesn't mean that you're a preacher, right? Again, like I was saying with small groups, you can be a leader and not be a preacher. I'm a preacher, right? Like I've been a preacher since I was a little kid. I am, as the song says, I am a son of a preacher, man. And uh, my dad's a preacher. He's first generation, so no one before him, But, but he's a preacher and I'm a preacher. And I started preaching sermons in church when I was like 13, 14. I found some sermon notes recently when I was cleaning out my attic. I had some old journals and stuff like that. My first sermon, I was 14 years old. Uh, I grabbed one of these Old Testament passages about how Israel was like an unfaithful wife. I don't know if any of you guys have read through the Old Testament, but that was, it's one of the more favored analogies in the Old Testament, that anytime they are walking away from God, God compares them to an unfaithful wife. And uh, so my first sermon was called, So You're a Prostitute. And then uh, my whole sermon was, I I think because I was 14, I just wanted to see how many times I could use like the words hooker, whore, prostitute. Like I just wanted to see how many times I could say those words in church. Um, And it was quite a few. So 29 and I'm still kind of think it's funny to get those in there. Anyway, um, the next one, uh, not so so, uh, sorry, Uh, able to teach is not that you have to be a preacher, but that you can articulate scripture. That if someone sits down with you and says, um, you know, like I'll use Dan here. If they're like, Hey Dan, uh, I got this scripture. I read it. I don't understand it. Can you help me with it? The Dan will be able to go. Yeah. You know what? Maybe I'm not an expert, but here's, here's what I see in that, you know, or I've read that before. And this is what I got out of it. That, That a leader in the church is someone that can sit down and explain scripture, can talk through scripture is comfortable doing that. They don't have to love teaching and preaching. They don't have to love crowds, but they're able to explain the Bible, um, It's part of discipling people in the church. The next one there, they're not a drunk. So this means they have their alcohol in check. In some cases, this means they just don't drink, right? Like we have people on our lead team that don't drink at all. And then we have people that drink in moderation, meaning they have a drink. They don't get drunk, the end. Um, And and, and I'll be honest, I, I fall in that second category and I've told people like at my job, different places and it baffles them. Like they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, like, I have a drink. I finish the drink. I go on my way. And they're like, whoa. Like, I've had this conversation. Like, I've told people before, like, maybe different drinks that I enjoy. And they're like, and you can have one of them? Yes. That's possible. They're like, oh, I can't stop till I'm at six. I'm like, Well, then, you know, I had a conversation like that with a guy recently. He's like, yeah, I can't stop till five or six. And I did this the other night and then I woke up in the kitchen and I had this big bruise on my head and I'm like, and that's why I stop at one because I like knowing what happened the night before, um. But to be honest, just because we have a lot of people in kind of that, that 20, 21 age range, just to share my testimony with that, I grew up in a family that didn't drink. When I hit 21, do you know what I did? I didn't drink. Uh, I didn't go to the bar on my 21st birthday. I didn't run down and, and, and to the liquor store to get something. And when I turned 22, still wasn't drinking. 23, still wasn't drinking. Because I, I was concerned, you know what, this is a big deal, and it ruins a lot of people's lives. So let me, let me not jump in right away. So I I waited till I was in my mid twenties before I ever had a drink. Um, because I, I wanted to make sure that God was okay with that in my life. So if you're 20 and you're like, man, I'm turning 21 next year, don't feel pressure. that You have to run down to the bar just because your friends do. You can take as much, you, you can never drink or you could have your first drink when you're 40. It doesn't matter. Like there, it really doesn't matter, but it means that they're, they're not a drunkard. Um, not violent, but gentle. And I love, this is the only one where he gives a comparison, right? Like he says, not violent. I think if he just left it that, we're like, okay, so he doesn't get in fights. Like he doesn't punch people in the face. Um, great. That's a good thing. But Paul actually says, no, he has to be gentle. And this is, this is one that I think gets overlooked. Some also, I think, especially now for for whatever reason, the past five, 10 years in preaching, teaching, um, pastors have have kind of and and i do it too we all do it we we i think it's the wild at heart thing the trying to be a guy thing so we throw these like tough guy things into our sermons where we're like if i knew a guy in our church was doing that i'd punch him in the face i would you know drop kick him in the throat and you know and we, and we say these things and like and, and maybe we would i don't know i've never punched anyone in the face to be honest i've gotten punched in the face like once but uh, i've never drop kicked anyone in the throat um I choked a kid out when I was like seven because I saw in a movie, but it was on accident. And then I felt really bad. Um, But, you know, the Bible calls pastors, leaders in the church to be gentle, uh, that people wouldn't be afraid of us. They're not intimidated by us. They're not scared of us because we're gentle. You know, you look at Jesus. He has kids that want to come and sit on his lap and hear him teach. And the disciples are like trying to push the kids away. And he says, no, let the little children come unto me for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's because Jesus was gentle. You never see kids that love to go hang out with really tough, mean people, right? Like kids love gentle, jolly, happy people, right? And, and so a leader has to be gentle, um, not quarrelsome. You know what, I'll just, I'll make this one quick. If you're the guy that gets in debates and arguments on Facebook, you're not cut out to be a leader. Um, next, not a lover of money. Uh, this just means, man, that, that what it says, you don't love money. You know that money is a tool from God to get things done. Uh, this doesn't mean that you have to be super rich. And it also doesn't mean that you have to be super poor. You could, you could be either there. There are people who love Jesus, who have done amazing things that have a lot of money, right? And and they know how to steward it well, and they know how to manage it well. And they're not greedy. There's also people who are dead poor, like currently in today's setting, not just a thousand years ago. Like in different countries, right now, there are people that are completely poor that live in dirt or grass huts or whatever. And and, and they love Jesus and they're changing their village, their community. So it just means that you don't love money. Manages his own household well. Um, This doesn't mean they're perfect and it doesn't mean their family's perfect. I, I think that's one that gets abused sometimes is they think, man, if the pastor's kids have any issues, then the pastor's out, right? And that's not what it's saying. It's just saying that the pastor has to love his family and do everything he can to point them to Jesus. But if we read the Bible, we understand that, he can't make his kids love Jesus, you know? So we have, we have our pastor, Michael, he has two kids. They're great. I love them. I think they're awesome. Little kids. Uh, If they struggle at any point in their life, that's not Michael's fault because I know that him and Amanda love their kids and they're preaching the word to them and they're raising them godly. And so what has happened sometimes in the church is that when a, when a pastor's kids hit their teen years or their college years and they go through some sort of struggle, people look down on the pastor and I can just say as a pastor's kid, I have failed plenty of times and it wasn't my dad's fault. Like my dad did everything he could do to show me how to love Jesus. And I still sinned and I still did dumb things, nothing to do with him, but it means that they're doing everything they can to point their family to Jesus. Uh, Last couple here, not a new Christian. This is really applicable to our church. Some of you got saved in this church. Some of you have gotten saved in the past few months, the past six months, and that's great. And, and, and a lot of you probably, or some of you aspire to leadership. You think, man, I would love to be preaching and teaching someday. I would love to be leading this or leading that, and that's great. Don't give up on that. But what I would say is take some time to mature. Take some time to grow. Because the Bible here specifically warns that if you jump into it too quickly, you're likely to become conceited, puffed up, and fall away from God uh, altogether. And I see this in our celebrity culture. I don't know if anyone else has ever witnessed this, but some celebrity will come to Jesus, right? They'll say, man, I I hit rock bottom, and I've come to Jesus, and da-da-da. And what do we do? Do we, do we say, yeah, go get in a small group and get to type on it? No, we throw them on like every TV show we can. And we put them in conferences and we're like, can you speak here? Can you preach here? Can you share your testimony here? And within a year or two, they're, they're back to what they were doing before. Like I've seen this before, uh, Classic example was when I was in high school, this happened with R. Kelly. I don't know. I mean, some of you guys probably aren't even old enough to remember this, but R. Kelly released this song, I Believe I Can Fly. And then he started, like he said, I, I've come to Jesus, I've changed my life. And there was about a year, uh, maybe a two, where he was professing the name of Christ, where he was saying, I'm serving Jesus. And he was kind of getting away from all the other stuff he'd been doing. But you know, They just started putting him on guest spots here and guest spot there. Can you share your testimony here? And within a couple of years, he was back to exactly what he was before. And I would say maybe even worse. Um, and and, and it's, that's what this scripture is warning of. Don't put someone who's a new Christian in leadership because they'll be conceited. They're not ready for it. They need to grow. Uh, and the last one that they would be thought of well by outsiders. This just means that, man, if someone at your job found out that you were, let's say, one of the one of the pastors here or or they found out that you lead some department in our church there's two responses they could have one would be oh yeah that makes sense yeah the way they live their life the way they talk the way they love people the way they're kind that makes sense right that's what that's saying you should be like now if they're like what that guy he's a leader of church you don't even know the stuff i've heard him say you don't know the stuff that she does You, you don't even know like that would be the wrong response that you're thought of well by outsiders all right, so those are the qualifications. So here's the question for you guys, and you have to think through this. You have to. If you want to be a part of this church, you really need to think through this. Look at the leaders here. Look at the people that you know are in leadership here. Do you, do you trust that they meet these qualifications? When you look at their life, when, you, when you've been around them, if, you, if you've only been here a couple weeks, you probably don't know. But if you've been around a while, do you trust that your leaders are, are, are lining up with this? If you don't, if you just think, man, the leaders here aren't like that, At all, because of this, because of that, whatever. This is what I would submit to you that that this is probably not the place for you. And I don't say that to be discouraging or to be mean, but this is what I'm saying is that honestly, if you look at the leaders here and you don't trust that they qualify to be in leadership, you're not gonna trust them, especially when things get hard, especially when they come to challenge you. When they say, you know what, you're doing the wrong thing, you're gonna quit. So if that's gonna happen, you could save everyone time and do it now. Uh, I know we don't say that in sermons much, but I I feel like I need to go there. If you have a concern over a leader, man, bring it up, come to one of us, come to that person, because here's the thing. James three says that if someone wants to be a leader, uh, that they actually are under a harsher judgment, that their life will be scrutinized more closely. And so we're okay with that. If you, if you think, man, one of the leaders isn't lining up with that, then come and tell us and we'll deal with it. But. Beyond that, if it's just person, personality issues, if it's just that you and that person rub each other the wrong way, it's just that you disagree with the way we do this or do that, then you shouldn't be here. Because what's going to happen is you're going to quit eventually when things get tough. I'll give you guys an example. I said my dad's a pastor. I'll give you probably the best example of this uh, from from growing up in his church. And, and I, love, I love what they're doing there. I love their church. Um, but he had a guy in his church. They were... They had gotten a new part of their building, right? They're, they rent out, but they had rented out another unit in this um, complex where they're at. And they needed to do some remodeling to it. So some guys were doing some construction, remodeling from the church. They're hanging drywall. They're hanging drop ceiling, and all this stuff for a couple of months. And it came time to paint. And my dad lets them know, you know what? Um, these women in the church are going to paint. They're going to pick the designs and patterns and colors and all that stuff. Right. And and I think all the guys can agree, right? Like there's just something that I think God instilled in most women that just makes them better at that. Right. Amen. Right. Some guys like my wife's colorblind. Shut up. Uh, Anyway. um, No, but, uh, but I, I just think that I think that in general, women are better at that. So I think my dad made a great choice as a leader to say, Hey, the women can handle that. Well, this guy who had hung drywall and done all this construction work, he's like, no, I'm picking the paint out. That's, I want to do that. And he's like, well, and and just giving you, this is like 60 something year old guy, construction worker, not the most fashionable guy in the world. Right. And so my dad's just like, no, like, you know, you're not going to do that. That's, that's their job. We had talked about this And, and then this is the next thing that comes out of his mouth. You let me pick the paint, or I quit your church. Uh, so here, here's the thing. Um, that didn't happen just from one conversation, right? That guy at some point, somewhere along the line, or maybe never, had a full respect for the leadership in that church. He wasn't submitted to them. He wasn't obeying them. And he was holding that chip. Like no one gets that mad about paint. He was holding that chip to say, you know, one day there'll be something that I'm, I'm upset about, and I'll throw this chip out there. I quit if you don't let me do X. I, I'll quit if you don't let me do this. And let me say, if you're holding a chip like that, you know what, one day, then quit now. Because you know what's going to happen? The same thing happened in my dad's church. He was like, okay, have a great life. And that guy quit. And I, I guarantee that if you if you pull that on like me or on michael or on any other leaders here that is the response you'll get we'll be like mm, okay well you know it was great for the time you were here but uh have a good life um so uh, again that didn't happen in one conversation and if you're in that place where you're not willing to obey and to submit to the leaders here then then that is gonna eventually happen probably not over paint because we can't paint in here but um If you're like, I want to paint or I quit, we're like, yeah, go ahead. Uh, See what happens. Um, But he wasn't submissive to leadership. He he acted like a jerk and it it went poorly. Um, I want to go back to Hebrews 13, 17. And we're going to read this again, but focus on sort of the end of the verse here. It says this, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. So which are you? Are you the kind of person that brings joy to your leaders or the kind that makes them grown? Um, I got some feedback from some of our leaders. Our leaders here in the church, they love leading a true life. And they said, for the most part, the people that they, they are leading are bringing them joy. And I thought that was awesome to hear. And so I wanted to read you just some of the feedback I got from the leaders here. They said, Things like this, seeing our life team is so servant-hearted. Sorry, I asked them, what brings you joy about leading? So they said, uh, seeing that our life team is so servant-hearted. Most people in society would laugh at the idea of the amount of work our life team uh, does and not get paid for it. What brings me joy is that our life team serves with joy, which clearly means they have a proper perspective on who God is, his character, and they're motivated to serve because of that understanding. Uh, someone else said, change lives. Anytime I get to witness real transformation, like a salvation or a family coming alive in Christ, people finding their 10 spot and jumping into the opportunity to serve. Uh, every new face gets me excited. My heart races when I see people show up with a guest by their side. Uh, another one said, when people, joy- when people joyfully cover when a teammate has an emergency or when the team reminds me that they appreciate the work I do, when everyone responds promptly to their planning center notifications. Um, and uh last one here just says uh i get a lot of joy from seeing new people develop into leaders themselves i think this is awesome it's awesome to hear that our lead team our 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 team people that are leading the church they really do get a lot of joy from serving and from leading you guys but i want to go through just what is it you could do i just have three things here that you could do to bring joy to your leaders in this church and i think you should care about that i think that you should want to do that uh, the three things here. The first one is that you need to be willing to take correction or confrontation from the leaders in your church because you trust that they love you and that they have your best interests in mind. Proverbs fifteen thirty one and 32 says this. And I thought this went really well with Michael's message last week on being a life-giving church. Proverbs 15 says, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. I promise you that if a leader here is bringing correction to you, it's going to be life-giving. It's not going to be just because we're mean and because we want to make things hard on you. It's because we want your life to get better. We want you to come closer to Jesus. We want you to have a better marriage. We want you to do better in school, do better in your career. And so if we bring correction, it's because we want you to have the most joy possible, which is found in following Jesus. It's found in following him and his word. And so if we bring correction, it's because it's gonna be life-giving. I'll give you guys an example of someone in my own life who I tried to bring life-giving correction to and she made it a groaning, awful experience. I was a manager at a ministry and I had a team of interns under me. And our job was to basically promote these youth events to youth pastors. And I had to meet with my interns every couple months and give a review on how they were doing, right? And, and I had a mix of guys and girls on the team. I had some really um, just... Like like leader, strong willed kind of people. And I had some more quiet, kind of uh, you know, uh meek kind of people. And then I had this girl, and she was just mean and liked to argue and fight over everything. So, you know, hey, it's gonna be a busy day. No, I don't think it's gonna be a busy day. how would you know that? What do you ah, so it was just all the time with this girl. And so I met with her and I'm doing a review, and there was a section about you know, something to do with confrontation, right? And I said, listen you're really bad at taking confrontation. When I come to you and I say, hey, you need to work on this, you always come back at me and say like, no, I don't. I'm doing great at that. And I I, I didn't imitate her, but I I was telling her like, you're not good at taking confrontation. You need to get better at that. Uh, You need to be more open to correction. And um, I think that's that's probably your biggest area of weakness. Her response uh, was, no, I'm not. I'm great at taking correction. I'm great at taking confrontation. I'm not even kidding. Like, this is how the conversation went. And I'm just mouth open. Like, oh. uh, she was like, I think what it is, is that you're scared of strong-willed women. I think that you don't know how to deal with a woman that stands up for herself. And I'm like, what? what? I, I don't even. Uh, and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, right. You're doing it right now. Um, and so literally, that was the conversation. She made it a groaning. And I had to manage her for another six months after that. And every time I'm like, okay, I got to tell her that she did this thing wrong. She's going to tell me she didn't. Don't be that person. When your leader comes to you with correction, even if it's hard to hear, hey, I'll pray about that. I, I never heard it. No one's ever said that to me. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me go back to God with it. Don't be that person who just immediately starts arguing. Don't be the person who says, well, you know what you have in your life? Don't be that. Be someone who's open to correction. Open to confrontation the next one here that you could do that makes it a joy to lead you is to pray for your leaders on a regular basis so hebrews 13 uh verse 18 the same same chapter he says pray for us for our conscience is clear and we want to live honorably in everything we do he's asking the church please pray for us pray for me pray for our team and I would ask you guys that. Pray, pray for your pastor. Pray for Michael. Pray for his wife. Pray for his kids. Pray for the other people on the lead team. Pray for the people that are making decisions, that are leading departments, that are even leading small groups, whatever. Pray for your leaders in the church. If you're not sure how, if you're saying, what should I pray? I just thought of this when I was writing this out. Really practically, you could take that list of qualifications that I gave you and just pray that over us, right? Like 1 Timothy 3. You could take that. And I love praying scripture because it is just good. It's just, it's helpful. It's like a cheat sheet for prayer. Uh, and so take first Timothy three and just Lord, you know, let's say you're praying for Jeff. He's, he's one of our lead team. Lord, I just pray that Jeff would be faithful to his wife. I pray that, that Jeff would be able to manage his household. Well, I pray that he would not fall in love with money. I pray that he wouldn't be a drunkard, right? Like I, like just pray these things over us. Like we need those. We need that kind of prayer covering in our life. If we're going to lead this church, and, and there's other lists in the Bible of what leaders should be like. Take those lists and just pray them. Pray, man, God, that our leaders would be like this. And when they're tempted not to be, that you would you would get in their face about it, God. Uh, it's easy. It's that easy that you could take a list from the Bible and pray it over us. And the last one, and this is huge. This is the one that kind of hit me as I was preparing for this sermon. And, and I think that it's uh, maybe the most important that I could ask you guys to do that would make it a joy to lead. And that is, the scripture says, to imitate their faith. So imitate their faith, but don't idolize it. And if I could say it a little bit clearer, worship Jesus, not your pastors. The writer says this, he says that we're to imitate their faith. Paul says in another passage, to follow me as I follow Christ. The big idea here is that if you put your hope in leaders instead of Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall. Those qualifications, there might be times that that one of us fails at them. Whether it's in this church or some other church, you may have a leader that becomes argumentative. You may have a leader that doesn't manage his money well and goes broke. You you may have a leader, God forbid this ever happens here, but it's happened in other churches. You might have a leader that has a moral failure in his marriage or, or, or with drinking or something in the community. That has happened before. And what I've seen in my own life is that people who put their hope in the leaders, that people who put their faith in those leaders instead of Jesus, they were disappointed and some walked away from the faith. And it doesn't excuse the leaders. They, they made mistakes. They sinned. They did stupid things. But if your eyes are on Jesus primarily, first and foremost, no matter what happens in leadership, you, you won't be disappointed. You won't lose faith in God. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews knew this and he gave us some indication of it. I want to go back to the verse we open with Hebrews 13, seven and eight. He says, remember your leaders who spoke, who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then he throws in this next verse. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So remember your leaders, imitate them, but let's not forget who this is really all about. It's not about your leaders. It's not about your pastors. In the end, it's about Jesus because he never changes. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's what it's all about here at True Life. It's all about Jesus. And we'll say that all the time. Every sermon will bring it back to Jesus. Even a sermon like today where we're talking about why you should obey your leaders. I'm going to end this sermon talking about Jesus. Because he's that awesome. Because he's the ultimate leader. He's the ultimate senior pastor. He's the one that's over all of this. And he's the one that we should ultimately look up to. He's the reason that we want you to pray for us. He's the reason we want you to be open to correction. Because we want you to fall more in love with Jesus. See, we're flawed, sinful humans. That's who you have leading the church. So in case you didn't know that, I'm telling you now, everyone that's in leadership here is flawed and is sinful and is broken and is being healed and restored by Jesus on a regular basis. We're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. People look at the church and they say, man, it's full of hypocrites. It's full of liars. It's full of imperfect people. And I say, yeah, and that's that's why you fit in. That's why you're welcome here. Because we're all like that. We're all imperfect. We're all flawed. And we all need Jesus. And what does this mean? What what does it mean when I say, man, to to imitate their faith but don't idolize it? It, It's the same recipe that we've been cooking since day one of true life. And that is, man, read the Bible. Read read the book that Jesus wrote for us. He wrote this book for us so that, that we would be able to know him. And that book is all about him. So read the Bible. Get to know Jesus that way. The other thing, prayer. Just talk to God. This doesn't mean you have to be on your face for an hour in your room. You can talk to God while you drive. You can talk to him at the grocery store. You can talk to him in the shower, whatever. Just start talking to Jesus more. Last one I said at the beginning, man, get in a small group where you can discuss Jesus, where you can discuss your questions and your thoughts and your concerns and your fears and, and, and draw closer to Jesus in that way. Make it your highest goal this year to know Jesus more, to fall more in love with him, to cultivate more love in your heart for Jesus. That's what we want. That's what your leadership team here wants. That's what everyone here at True Life wants is for all of you, all of us to fall more in love with Jesus. And maybe you're here today and this is all new to you. So the idea of submitting to leaders is just completely foreign. Maybe this is your first Sunday here and you're like, this is weird. Uh, I came to church and he's talking about why I should obey leaders, right? Well, you need to start by obeying Jesus. You need to start by submitting your life to Jesus Christ and following him and following what he says. And if you haven't done that, uh, we're gonna give you a moment in just a second to do that. So I want everyone to, to close their eyes, bow their heads. We do this every week because it's that important because our whole mission is to have more people loving Jesus, So, if you're hearing me talk today, you're here and you're just like, you know what? I haven't submitted my life to Jesus. I I can tell you that if you try this the other way around, it's going to fail. If you think, man, I can just get really plugged into church and I can submit to the leaders here and I can get in a small group and I can do what they say and life will be better. If you haven't first submitted to Jesus, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be awful. To be honest, if you haven't submitted your life to Jesus, Even getting up early and coming here on a Sunday is probably difficult. If I didn't love Jesus, I wouldn't wake up voluntarily and and come somewhere early in the morning on my day off. I do that because I love Jesus. And so if you're here and and you don't have that relationship with Jesus yet and you want that, you want that going forward, uh, I just want you to raise your hand and we're gonna pray a really simple prayer. Just throw your hand up for just a second and we're gonna pray a prayer to come to Jesus today. All right, so I'm going to pray, and you guys can repeat after me. And what we do is everyone here, we pray this together. Not because we all need to get resaved. saved um, I think when I was a kid, sometimes I thought that. But it's not because we need to get resaved. It's because we want to join in with those of you who this is your first time praying this. We want to support you. But on the, on top of that, the same way I was saying this series has kind of broken up my heart and reminded me of things. I think that on a weekly basis, it's great to just be... Reminded of who we are—that we're sinners that come to Jesus for repentance. The great theologian Martin Luther—he said a Christian's whole life should be one of repentance. So whether it's day one or day 200 or year 15, it's it's repentance. We constantly are coming back to Jesus in repentance. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I want everyone here to repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. Forgive me. I want to follow you. I submit my life to you. Come fill my heart. Be my Lord. In Jesus' name. And Lord, God, right now, I just lift up our church to you, God. I know that this message is not an easy one or a popular one to hear, God, that we should be submitting and obeying and honoring our leaders, that it doesn't go well in our culture. It doesn't probably even sit well in most of our hearts. God, I pray that it would sink in, that these scriptures would sink into people's hearts. God, that when they're faced with challenges in our church and when they're faced with correction, when they're faced with difficult situations with our leaders, God, that they would come back to these verses. They would come back to your word and remember that you set this whole thing up, God. God, and that your desire is for us to obey and submit and honor the leaders that you've placed in this church. So, God, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you did that for our joy. You did that because you love us. And you know knew it would go well with us if we followed your word. So, Lord, we love you. We praise your name. We give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Joel a hand this morning. Good job, man. We're going to give you an opportunity to give in just a second. If you raised your hand or prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something. In the cup holder next to you is a connection card, and uh, we'd love it if you would just fill that out and check the box that says, I'm committing my heart to Christ today. Um, we're not going to show up at your house or stalk you or do anything weird. We're not going to do anything to embarrass you, but we do want to send you a, a quick email with just some instructions to help you get off on the right foot, um, get a healthy start to your walk with Christ, and uh, and and it'll be great. And real quick, before we before we do the offering and give you an opportunity to give, I just want to connect some things with the message that that Joel shared, and I really felt like I need to tell you first of all, just we have a commitment. To each other and to you, to never preach out of problem. Does that make sense? Like the heart of what you heard today didn't didn't start this way. It didn't go start with me and Joel going, "Hey, you know, it just seems like we really have a hard time getting people to submit and obey around here." Let's preach about that. <laughs> All right. So so we never, in fact, when there's a problem the biblical way for us to handle that is through private confrontation, never through public um, tearing people down. Or, or So we would never get on the stage and preach out a problem. In fact, I think church, you deserve to be commended in that in a church full of people who really a lot of us don't have a long history of serving Jesus. It's actually pretty incredible that we don't have more problems in this area. Like, I, I, I'm always amazed at how servant-hearted our church is. And so I just wanted you to know, the heart for this, it really happened because we're talking through the series, and I said to Joel, I said, I really feel like we should share what biblical leadership looks like and what, what leadership means in our church and kind of that what the whole follow the leader thing that the Bible lays out for us. And I'm, I even, just so you know, you can ask him, I even said to him, I said, I'd like for you to preach this if you're comfortable with it. My concern is this is a really tough one to preach without sounding like you have an agenda. Because we don't. Our agenda is for you to have the best life in Christ that you can possibly have. So I just kind of wanted to connect the heart for that with you so you know how we arrived at this this morning just because of the kind of message it is. I know It's not popular. It's not popular in culture. And I remember when God did a work in my heart um, I thought I understood what this was about. I was interning at a church in Florida and where God just really said, hey, you're not, you're not serving your leaders or following your leaders and uh, you need to get it get it figured out, get on the ball. And, uh, and I did. God transformed my heart and my life and I think most of the blessing that has come into my life, I can trace back to that when I started choosing to submit to uh, to biblical leadership. And they weren't perfect. They didn't get everything right. They even hurt my feelings a couple times. But um, it's not about that. It's about following Jesus and, uh, and doing, doing it the way he calls us to. Amen? All right. Good stuff. Well, we're gonna...